You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to add one announcement. Next week is the Rock and Roll Marathon. Um, and so it's inconvenient um, if you're coming from... Uh, the West. There we go. Like, what direction is that? Uh, but we're going to post up all the routes, the best ways to go, ways to avoid traffic blocks and all those kind of things. It really only affects the morning. It will not affect that night service. So for some reason, you're totally trapped in, which I know happens. Some people living in Arcadia, things like that. Um, I just want to let you know, come to the night service that we have for worship and prayer uh, if you can't make it that morning. But we'll have parking. We have parking just right behind us here at Boss Pizza, all kinds of stuff, as well as we've worked it out with the Scottsdale uh, Police Department, that if you are if you need handicap parking or some kind of access like that, they will let you into this parking lot to park or be dropped off. So we'll have our team outside that will help coordinate that. So if you need some kind of special access, um, you can just have them come right up the street and or right you know through this area here, and they'll let you into the parking lot. So just kind of like if you don't follow us on online or you don't get the email or you unsubscribe from the email, uh, resubscribe so you get all that info and make everything easier. Maybe just leave five minutes, ten minutes early, make life easier. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited to continue our 2020 vision series. Um, it's been a good week. I, I had fun at the worship night. And the prayer night as we kicked off fasting, I, I hope your fast has been going well. It's been cool hearing, you know, kind of what God is stirring up in people's hearts. Um, but I, I'm excited to share with you today. If I haven't met you, if you're new, my name is Josh. My, my wife and I, Katie, we pastor this church. And, man, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. So I'm, like, shaking off the end of being sick all weekend. And so if I sound really weird or if I cough randomly halfway through, just have mercy on me. Cool? Good. Thanks, Patrick. <clears throat> that was a pity cough. Uh, but I thought I would share a little bit this morning. Uh, my journey in ministry and kind of like where we came from a little bit as we prepare for this sermon this morning. Um, a little bit about us. Katie and I really like started going after Christ in high school. We've known each other since high school. We've dated since high school. Uh, I like to tell people I got in on the ground floor uh, before she knew I wasn't that much of a catch. Uh, and, and so uh, we were in high school and we went to this youth ministry and the youth pastor left or was encouraged to leave. I don't remember. It was like forever ago. And uh, so we just started running this youth ministry when we were in high school because all my life I'd really felt this, this call on my life to vocational ministry, meaning full-time ministry is a job. And so we started uh, running this youth ministry, and we met in a gymnasium that we rented, we raised our own money, we did our own thing, we were in high school, we were still, you know, working and going to school, all this stuff, but we ran this youth ministry, we had about 40 kids in this youth ministry, and they were just like 40 of just like the most hood, random kids, they were a mess, we were definitely not qualified to lead them in any way, but since nobody else would, we just did it, and so we served in this ministry all the way out of high school, kind of like beginning college. And what I learned in those early days is sometimes, sometimes working at a church kind of sucks. And sometimes people kind of suck. And they're kind of mean to you. Anyone ever experienced that? Someone's been mean? Yeah, of course. Like, right? Sometimes you're just like, 
blown away at the tapestry of ways people can find to be cruel to you when you're just trying to love their children. Like, you don't parent them. I'm not trying to either. Like, and so for us, I love people. I loved ministry, but I was hurt. And, and I was really hurt. And I know we hear this phrase tossed around all the time, but I was hurt by the church. I was hurt by church people. And so I didn't, like, not love the Lord. I did not love God or want to serve the church. I was just hurt by church. I was hurt by church people. And I was like, you know what? I just don't want to get kicked around. I'm not a get kicked around kind of person. And, and, I, and I was still learning because I was really young that when someone tries to kick you around, when you're a pastor, you can't kick back. And so that took a while to learn that. I might still be learning. So if I ever kicked you, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but in my life, I was hurt and I was wounded. And so I said, you know what, I know this is like the call of God in my life. I feel like this is the greater calling of my life. It's the only thing I've really been certain of since I was like five years old. There were things I felt called to be when I was five, and that was a minister. And then I had to really discover Christ in high school and really dive into that. But being hurt, I stepped away. And I, so I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go to ministry. I'm not going to do into that. I'm going to go into architecture because I like to draw and I like buildings and I like shapes. And so I'm going to go into architecture. And so I went to University of Washington, uh, was, was going to school for architecture. And I was working in an architecture firm, making the, probably the most money I've ever made, might still be like, the most I've ever made. Uh, as an apprentice at an architecture company, and, and it was great, and it, and it was good and all, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'll just help if I'm needed at the church, right? And I can feel the pull of God in my life, like, hey, you know, I've, I've called you into leadership. I've called you to lead people, and I was like, yeah, but God, I, I'm so hurt by all of these things in my life. I feel so taken advantage of. I feel wounded. I don't know if you've ever been hurt by church, but it's hard to kind of trust again. And so I was going to school and walking through this process, and I got invited to be in this band because I loved playing guitar and playing music, and I was in bands. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go play guitar in this band, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. So I went, and I showed up, and the first week I, I played in this band, and it was fun. And the second week, the guy leading the band quit, and so I had to take over because that's how church works. Uh, <laughs> And so he, he left, and they're like, hey, just heads up, tonight the worship leader is done. Can you do it tonight? And I'm like, well, uh, I mean, I, I guess. I, I, I feel compelled to lead, so sure, I'll, I'll help. But I kept telling God, God, I, I'm not going to really, I, I can't dive back into this. I can't go into this because I, I still have all this hurt, and I don't really want to give it up. I don't want to trust again. So I'm just going to kind of like be helpful and what I had was really good. I, I enjoyed it. But it wasn't the greater thing that God called me to. Are you with me? It wasn't the greater thing that God has called. And we, we have all kinds of callings in our life. Your calling might not be vocational ministry. It might be parenthood or it might be in your job or it might be evangelism or whatever it is in your life. We have a greater calling. But the hard part is because I was hurt, what I did is, is I found something comfortable that I could manage and I found something easy that I could do that I didn't have to trust God. Because I was like, well, you know what? Since I'm not going to be a minister, I'm just going to get a good job. I'm going to make some money. I'm gonna, I can control that. I'm comfortable in that. I'm going to do that. And God says, wait a second. I, I called you to something greater. Not that in, in, being an architect might be your greater calling. I'm not knocking architects. Thank, thank you, architects, for designing buildings and engineers for making them stand up. <laughs> thank you, Ty. <laughs> But I believe that God, at one point, I was playing in this youth camp, and it was this junky building, 
And it was kind of like a weird youth camp. But I remember this moment where God spoke to me and he asked me the question, will you trust me? Not like, will you trust me, right? Will you trust me with your life? And I believe that I began this journey of believing again that God is who he says he is. Regardless of what the church had done to me, regardless of what people had done to me, regardless of what even people saying they were speaking for God had done to me, right? Will I believe again that God is who he says he is in his word and will I trust him to do a work in my life? And I feel like God is, is giving that message, this, this moment in our church, is will you believe again that God is who he says he is? I feel like God is calling to a generation of Christians, not to say, will you believe that there is a God, but will you believe that God is a living God, is who he says that he is, he, that he is a miracle-working God, that he is a, he is a powerful God, that he is a loving God, that he is a God that is moving and changing and shaking. Are we going to be, and by generation I mean this time and space of the church, are we going to be a group of people that believes again that there is great for our lives than what we've ever seen or imagined. And I felt like in my own life, God was calling me out to say, Josh, I need you to believe again that I am who I say I am and that you are called as I say that you are called. And I feel like this morning, God is calling us out, not calling us out as in pointing us out, but calling us to greater, saying, I know you're hurt, but what if I healed you and you stepped into the promise. What would your life look like if the hurt, whether it's hurt from people or hurt from church, what if that that you carried, you released, and I healed you, what would your life look like? And I love the book of Joshua because really the book of Joshua is the people of God coming into the promised land and having to choose, will we trust God or will we trust us? And so we're going to read in the book of Joshua today. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to Joshua chapter 3. If not, the words will be on the screen. Uh, I'm going to pray while you're doing that this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your scripture. God, I thank you that as we gather here this morning, that your word is true. And as we hear from your word, it transforms our hearts. God, I pray this morning that there would be soft hearts in this place and that, God, you would once again stir our hearts that we might believe again that you are a God of miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're with me in Joshua 3, can you say amen? Amen. amen. We're going to read a decent amount of scripture this morning because it says it better than I could say it anyways, uh, and we love scripture in this church. So, Joshua 3, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. I didn't name it. And they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Okay, we'll stop there. 
The people of Israel have been wandering in exile. They're now coming and preparing to, to go into the promised land. It's been a long journey. And Joshua tells the people, listen, follow the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, but stay back 2,000 cubits, like half a mile or something. The Ark is where the presence of God is. So for them, what he's saying is, follow God. Like literally, when they would be in the tabernacle, this is where the presence of God would reside is over the ark. And the ark had important things in it. But most importantly, the presence of God would rest and go with this ark. Like you couldn't, it was so holy that you couldn't touch it. They would carry it like on poles. I'm thankful that we have a lot more intimate access to the Lord. Amen. But they would carry it on poles. Like there is an obvious dividing line between holy and unholy in that time. If you touched it and you were unholy, you would die. And so there was kind of this reverent fear that they would have. You know, don't touch the ark. You could die. It's completely holy. And he says, when, you, when it goes out, follow it, but don't get too close. But most importantly, what he's saying is don't pass it. Don't get ahead of God in your journey. Follow where God leads. In the time that it takes for him, do not run past him because you don't think the ark is going fast enough. Do not circle around him a couple times because you're not sure what the ark is saying. If we said follow the ark, keep following the ark until we tell you to stop following the ark. Are you with me? And so he says, when it goes out, because you, you haven't been this way before, and I think this is interesting. This generation... Uh, is not from Egypt. Some of them could have been small children in Egypt, but it's likely a lot of these kids were, a lot of these people were born in the desert because what had happened is the people of Israel came, or came out of Egypt. If you were here for our Exodus series, we talked all about this. They got to the promised land. They sent a representative from all the 12 tribes into the promised land and said, hey, go scout it and tell us what God's going to do. They came back. And they said, oh, heck no, we are not taking this. These people are giants. Except for Joshua and Caleb that said, oh, yeah, we can do this. Nothing is impossible with God. But since the people said, no, 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 we're not going to go take this land, God said, fine, then your next generation will go take the land. And so they marched around in the desert for 40 years until everybody but Caleb and Joshua had died. And so in this moment, God is saying, listen, the desert is all that you know. The wilderness is all that you know. The wilderness is where you're comfortable. Because you have to imagine entire, could you imagine getting freed from slavery, being told, I'm going to take you to a promised land, and not getting there for 40 years. At some point, you'd have to doubt, right? What is that, year 38? Like, if God gives you a promise, and you're 38 years in, you'd be like, okay, I must have misheard. Like, we need to get a better navigator, get a GPS, something. If God gives me a promise in my life and I, and I stepped out of it and then it, it, it still doesn't happen for 40 years, I would be concerned and doubting that I'm actually hearing from God, right? And so what's in the wilderness and their time in the wilderness is failure. It's doubt. It's all kinds of things that are happening. And so what happens is when we get familiar in a place, when they got familiar in the desert, we get this attitude like, oh, we got this. We can handle this. We'll do this. But that's what got them in trouble to begin with is going by their own power. So God is saying, listen, I'm going to do a new thing. And in order for me to do a new thing in my life, you need to follow behind me. Stop going in front of me. Church, I feel like for 2020, God wants to do a new thing in his church. 
but he can only do it if we follow behind him and stop trying to beat and get around him. If we stop saying, God, you're going too slow. Your presence is moving too slow. God, you're going, God, I, I need it to happen faster. God, this isn't what I like. God, you're not bringing me a person fast enough, a new job fast enough. God, you're not doing this enough. It's none of this. God is saying, listen, you have not gone this way. You have not experienced the new miraculous thing that I'm going to do. And since you haven't experienced it, don't run off and drown in the Jordan River. Instead, follow me. Because if you follow me, you'll see that I do the miraculous. Everyone with me? And so God said, I'm doing a new thing. You haven't been this way before. You haven't seen these kind of miracles. Your generation hasn't witnessed this kind of power. You haven't seen this kind of release. I believe that for our generation, that God wants to release power and authority upon this generation of the church that we have not seen. But in order to do that, we have to pursue his presence like never before. We have to follow after his presence like never before. The reason we do these worship nights is not because we just love music so much. It's because we desire to come into alignment and follow after him and his presence. God is not the limiter we are. He has given us the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who get distracted, amen? And so he says, I'm doing a new thing. Let's keep going. Verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Joshua says, consecrate, meaning purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. That word there is actually miracles. God will do miracles among you. What he's saying is get ready, get your heart ready, because I'm going to do something incredible in Israel. Can I tell you that's why we fast? It's not to force the miraculous hand of God but to prepare our hearts for the miracles that God is already doing and wants to do and wants to continue to do. We purify our heart. If God's doing a new thing, I want to be prepared for it. Amen? I want my heart to be ready for it because God is always moving. But often my heart is selfish or prideful or distracted, and so I'm not in alignment with what he's doing. I'm not following after the ark. I'm wandering the desert, making golden calves, you know, in the middle of, middle of the sand. But it's not focused on him. It's not following after him. And yet the fast says, God, I, I want to prepare myself for you to do a miracle. And here's what happens, Joshua 3, 7. It says, the Lord said to Joshua today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here, listen to the word of the Lord your God. And Joshua says, this is awesome. Here is how you shall know the living God. If you like to underline, underline living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from you before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, now Lord or the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark, the covenant of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. I love this. He says, here's how you're going to know that the living God, 
here's how you know that the living God is among you. And then he mentions all these other tribes and people. What he's saying is all these other gods that they worship are not true gods. This is the one living God. I don't know if you knew this, but God is alive. God is not an ancient idea. He's not sky magic. He's not theoretical. God is alive. He is actual, right? He is relational. He desires to have a relationship. This phrase that they use here, living God, is only used three other times in the Old Testament, and each time it, it speaks to the direct, active presence of God. So not only is God alive, but God is moving and changing and at work. He's not stagnant. He's not confined to stone. He's not confined to your brain or to an idea. God is God, and he is moving, and he is, all wi- and he is with us, and all the other gods lead to nothing. God leads to eternity, right? John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God and to eternity except through Jesus. No other God is alive. No other God is active. No other God is real. And he says, this is going to be the way so everyone knows that I'm with you because I'm about to move. And so he says, we're going to come to the Jordan River. And when you come to the Jordan River, you're going to put your feet in. I got some pictures here to give us some context here. The Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee to the, and the mountains, kind of, to the Dead Sea. I have a little map here where they would have crossed. It might be a little light. But if you'll see here at the bottom, that is the Dead Sea. This is where they were in the mountains on one side. They have to cross through the valley, over the river, to the other side. And the other lines are the journeys of... Um, the spies back and forth, but the Jordan River is really an important place in biblical history, Uh, and it symbolized major moments of transition. So, for instance, Israel is transitioning now into the promise. Uh, uh, When Elijah transitions the mantle over to Elisha, the Jordan River is crucial. And when John the Baptist is baptizing, who does he baptize at the Jordan? Jesus Christ. And he passes that mantle of declaration. So you can actually go to the place where Jesus is baptized. I think that's the next photo. Um, And unfortunately, most of the water of the Jordan has been diverted for agriculture. So this, um, what's a good word for this? Sewage. Uh, That is where possibly he got baptized. But if you do want to get baptized in the Jordan, there's another picture. You can go to this place, a lot cleaner, a little more upstream. So that that's what the Jordan River looks like now. But at the time, the Jordan River would have actually been massive. And so it's only been in the past 100 years it's been reduced so dramatically. So I have an old photo. This, look at this bridge here. It's just a little bit of info for your brain here. Look at this bridge. Keep that in your mind. This is the Jordan at low season. This would not be when they were crossing. This would have been when it was smart to cross. This is low. This is about 1920 this photo was taken. Let's go to the, the next photo. Okay, this is it at full flood stage. If anyone, can you see the top right there maybe? See that little bridge up there that the water is now touching? That is the bridge from the old photo. So I show you these photos to say, that is a lot of water. Not only is that a lot of water, that is a lot of water to get 40,000 soldiers across. Because under all that water is what? Mud. <laughs> and again, I don't have a lot of experience with wagons, but I imagine pushing a wagon through all of that mud and soldiers through all that mud would be difficult, even if they say that the Jordan River where they were crossing 
would have been 100 feet wide and at some points 5 to 10 feet deep, depending on where you were at. So it was either like almost over their heads or completely over their heads. So I want us to kind of get this picture of what God wants to do because I, I want us to see that this is kind of what they're crossing, right? There's debris, there's things. If you brought an army to this, you would say this is impossible to cross. It is not Im improbable to cross. It's not like, well, maybe we could do it. This is impossible. You would be foolish and you would die if you crossed this. And so the people are coming up against the impossible obstacle. And if you had said, well, you know what? God is just going to stop the river. This isn't a flipping stream. This is like a full flood stage. I don't know if you've lived in a floodplain. I have. But water is just everywhere. It's coming out of everywhere. And so... The idea in this moment is, listen, you have come out of the wilderness, you have come out of the desert, and I'm bringing you to the impossible. And here's what happens. Verse 14. If you're with me, say amen. It says this. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, meaning the edge of the water. Now the Jordan overflows at its banks throughout the time of harvest, which we saw in the photo. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is by Zeranathan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Areba, that the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea as we call it, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground. Remember, this is flood stage, so the fact that it's dry is also miraculous, because if you take all the water out of a river, you still have mud. So they're passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over from Jordan. Here, chapter 4, verse 1 says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down to the place where you lodge tonight. We're going to skip down to verse 19, because it's just reestablishing this. He says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, this is important. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up uh, for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Whew. I know that's a lot, but everyone's still with me? Good. It's hard to chop this up. You kind of got to get it all. But I think the question is, why did God do this miracle this way? Because it's kind of interesting. It says, remember, just as he did the Red Sea. Why did he do this miracle? Why is this profound moment? Because he's calling the people of Israel to something greater. He's inviting them to believe again that he is who he says he is. 
We did the Exodus series, remember the Red Sea? And God stops up the waters and the people walk across. And there was an oral tradition, so it was, you know, they, they would tell the story to their kids. And for years, I'm sure it got passed down and added or removed things and, and, and part of this tradition and all of this stuff. And, but, but importantly, it had been a long 40 years in the desert. And so what you have is a group and a generation of people who did not really witness the Red Sea. And God looks at his generation and says, listen, I'm going to show you as you prepare to enter into the promise. I'm going to show this generation my power and my glory that they might believe again that I'm mighty. That they might believe again that I am a miracle working God. That they might believe again that I'm with them. That I fight for them. That my presence and power is with them. And if you follow me and if you pursue my presence, I will do a miracle. See, the people looked at the Jordan and they said, that's impossible. And God said, no, believe again that nothing is impossible for God. See, what your parents forgot, even though I brought them to the Red Sea, is that God is still God and he is still powerful. And so they lost their chance to go into the promise because they refused to trust God for who he was. They wanted to hold on to their slavery. They wanted to hold on to the hurt. They wanted to hold on to that place. And God's like, no, I want you to cross over. I want you to believe that I am who I say I am. And so this next generation, God is looking at them and saying, listen, believe again that I am who I say I am. And, and I feel like he's looking at his church and he's saying, church, Believe again that I am who I say I am. Believe again that I can heal, church. Church, there, we need to believe again that God can deliver even the people that we think cannot be delivered. We, we need to believe again that God can bring clarity. We need to believe again that God can give wisdom. We need to believe again that God can heal your heart, that God can restore your purpose, that God can do a work in your life. See, some of you have seen God move in such powerful ways. But you have been in the desert now for too long, holding on to the hurt and the pain for too long, wandering for too long. And so God is calling you this morning saying, I want you to step across in a decision moment and say, listen, I choose to trust God to leave all that behind and say, God, would you work in my life? Because I believe again that you're strong and mighty, that you're powerful and good, that you're all loving. I might have been hurt even by the church. I might have been wounded by the things in the church. But you know what? God, you are greater than the mistakes of the people that make up the church. God, you are still great and good. And God, you have called me to greatness. You have called me to great purpose through your Holy Spirit and moving in my life. The church needs to be a place of healing and deliverance and prophecy again. Or it's a church of nothing. And I believe God wants to reveal more of his power and his glory to this generation. If I sound angsty, it's just because I have a cold. I'm excited more than I am anything. I believe that God's given us his Holy Spirit so that we might walk in power. We say at this church, we want everyone to experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Christ. Acts 1.8, you know what Jesus told us? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Power, not well wishes, not good intentions. You will receive power. Believe again that God has given you power through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Ephesians 1.17 says, Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Amen. And of revelation 
in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, you have received power, church, because God has given it to you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. We're not waiting, but we desire so much more, amen? I believe that God is not looking to do in this next season a revival in the church. He's looking to do an awakening. He's given us the spirit of revival. We have the Holy Spirit. We need to wake up to the fact and believe again that God can heal and God can move and God can change. We need to walk in the awakening of the truth that he has given us and believe again that we have received power. And like the Israelites, I think we're standing on the edge of the Jordan. Could you imagine that moment? You know what's behind them? Wilderness. How about failure? Anyone have failure behind them? How about disappointment? How about doubt? How about hurt? And they have two options. I can cross into the promised land by trusting the Lord to do a miracle today in my life. Or I can go back to the failure and disappointment and live there. But I can't live in the river, so I have two options. I can go back to failure and disappointment. I can go back to the hurt that was caused to me. I can go back to the words that were spoken over me. I can go back to the way that even the church hurt me and wounded me. Or I can trust that God can do a miracle and heal my life, and I can step into the promise for my future. If you want to live in the promise, you have to cross the river. I want to invite the band up this morning. And I really believe that. I believe the word God gave me for you this morning is just really simple. If you desire greater in your life, greater I mean greater revelation of the love of God, how deeply he loves you, greater freedom from addiction, greater purpose and calling through him, greater power through the Holy Spirit, then it isn't on this side of the river, it's on the other side of the river. See, the monument that they set up for generations was not on this side of the river. It was once they crossed the river, they set up a monument and said, listen, don't forget who God is. They didn't just set it up on this side. They actually set up two. They set up one in the middle of the river, and they set up one on the other side. So if for some reason it was low enough, everyone would know we crossed right here. And what's amazing is when they crossed over, I don't know, you can... I'll, I can send you the map if you want to see it, but if there's a river behind you and a lake south of you and a mountain and a city on the other side of you, you're kind of trapped. <laughs> you have to rely on the Lord in that moment because there's no retreat. All right, priest, back in the river. We're going back across. They were on the Jericho side. They were on the, we better win the battle. Or we have no retreat side. So God, I'm trusting you with my whole life here. Some of you are in that place. God, I'm, I have no retreat. I'm trusting you with my whole life. I think the hard part is so many of us are hurt so deeply that we want to take all that hurt to the other side. But it doesn't go with us. It has to stay on this side. It has to stay in the wilderness. The promise is for healing and hope and restoration. 
See, we don't have a promised land. We have a promise that is Jesus Christ. And because we have received Jesus Christ, though we are sinners, though we are broken, though we have a debt that we can never pay, rather than receiving any wrath or judgment upon us, we receive the hope and life of Jesus Christ. And we receive the righteousness that comes through him. And yet some of us can have made that commitment and still try to bring those hurt across the river. And I think we don't have a literal river, but I think this moment is a river for you this morning where God wants to do a miracle in your life, whether it's through surrender or through healing. He wants to do a miracle, that, that bitterness that you've held on to. He wants to release it. He wants to do a healing for that pain that's in your life. He wants to restore it. The question is, as you stand on the edge of the river, will you trust God to be who he says he is? And when you say, God, will you do a miracle in my life? I surrender. Would you heal me? Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just close your eyes? I want to speak over you this morning. Some of you, you just seen healing from words that has been spoken over you, actions. Some of you need healing specifically from being hurt by church. And you carry that, and you won't let it go. And you think that's a, you're like, you know what, but I serve the church, I'm part of the church. God still doesn't want you to carry that. He wants you to release that. You've been wounded, and you carry that against his church, his bride. And he's not angry for you, or angry at you, but he desires for you to release that. I want to pray for you this morning. If you feel like you have had those wounds and you want to step into a greater purpose, a greater calling in your life, a greater intimacy with the Father, you want to see God move in power and authority in your life, but you just want to lay it all down and you need healing. Maybe you've been hurt by others, hurt by church. We're going to take a step of boldness today. In just a second, I'm going to invite you forward and we're going to pray that that is released over your life. And I know every introvert just cringed. I'm sorry. I love you. But this is a river moment where you're going to cross over and say, God, I need you to do a miracle in my life, and I need healing. I'm not saying it's easy. That's why I think it takes a miracle. God, I need you to do a miracle in my life. I need you to heal me. Because, God, I want you to work through me, power and authority. Just take a second. It's that thing deep down that you won't let go of. It affects how you talk to others, how you witness to others. It's still there. God's asking, will you just leave it on the shore and cross over today? If that's you this morning, I'm gonna invite you just on the count of three to make your way up and I'm gonna pray for you. I know it's somebody in this place. Specifically, you've been hurt by church in your past and you need healing. But whatever it might be, you desire a greater movement of the power of God in your life. Or you have things you're still holding on to that you need to release to cross in. Whatever that might be. One, two, three. Would you just come forward this morning? I want to pray with you.
you guys just come together real quick? You can stand closer so I can get all of you in. There we go. Thank you. I'm going to invite my wife up as well to be praying. Any of my prayer team or staff that's here, just to lay hands on people as we pray. I just want to pray over you, just a release. And if you're in this place, I just encourage a soft heart. Just outstretch your arms. We're going to pray over each person this morning. God, we thank you, Jesus, for your love. God, we thank you, God, that you are a healer. God, that you bring freedom, Holy Spirit, that where you are, there is freedom. And since you are here today, Holy Spirit, there is freedom. And so, God, I pray over every heart and every life, complete healing from hurt that has taken root in their heart hurt that has taken root in their mind, whether it's things that have been spoken over them, things that have been said or declared, words that have been spoken into their life, actions that have been taken against them. God, maybe it is a lack of things that were done, people that were supposed to be there that weren't there, God. We pray a freedom and a healing in the name of Jesus in this morning. I pray that you would release the weight that rests upon the shoulders, God, the heaviness that rests. God, the heaviness that rests, God, as we wrestle through these things, but God, we desire in this moment to cross over. I pray each of these people right now would take a step towards you and say, God, I choose to trust you, and so I release that hurt. I release that pain. I release that thing in my life that is holding me back, and I say this morning, God, that you are good and that you are mighty, God, and I pray this morning over every life that you would renew and empower and encourage and strengthen, God. God, that you want to do great things, God, through your people. You want to do great things through these people right here, God, that they are not called to hold on to the past and be locked in those old ways, God, but you are calling them to a greater purpose and a greater movement and a greater outpouring, God. God, would they believe again like they believed before, God? Believe again in the name of Jesus that you've called. Remove bitterness, remove doubt, remove apathy, and restore the fire again of your spirit within them, God. God, we pray that you would move in the miraculous, that you would move in the prophetic, that you would move in your spirit in all ways, God, because there is a release right now. We pray a release in the name of Jesus. If you're in this room, would you agree with me? Let's pray a release over every life by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. If anyone here has been hurt by church, God, and wounded by the body of Christ, God, by the people of the church, we pray healing in the name of Jesus. We pray love in the name of Jesus, God, that your church is meant to love and to embrace and to strengthen, God. So, God, we pray complete healing in the name of Jesus, that no longer would that be part of our identity, but that we would be free in the name of Jesus, we pray. God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're good. God, we worship you. God, we worship you.